For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 706 on today's Entrepreneur. Welcome to the program, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And it's very sad. It's our last show of the season, actually. Try not to shed yeah. too many tears. Nobody will see it anyways. Uh, we're going to come back in uh, in the fall after Labor Day, but uh, this is typically when we take our summer hiatus. And uh, it's been a really great season, I have to say. And we're ending it on, on a big note uh, with a company that is uh, really going global uh, based right here in Montreal. They are uh, the, the darling of both the tech and fashion industry, uh, scenes here in Montreal and the, and the tech fashion scenes. So many times we, you know, how many times have we spoken about the online versus bricks and mortar stores? Yeah. Uh, how many times have we actually mentioned Frank and Oak as an example? Uh, and, and we're going to hear their story tonight where they really only started out uh, online. Uh, they're now bricks and mortar, but they have two and a half million members on their online platform. So uh, quite a story in such a, a short period of time, because I believe it's only been about four years. So uh, we'll have Ethan Song of Frank and Noak on the program this evening. So stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, but first, let's uh, do our usual entre- entrepreneurial chat uh, of uh, of the evening. And uh, let's start with C two actually, because I, I went last week. I checked out a lot of events there. Very interesting business conference. Um, a lot of uh, companies from around the world really come to Montreal to uh, to exchange ideas and more importantly to sort of chat with our creatives. I mean, Montreal is known as a really a creative hub. And from what I saw, I saw a lot of uh, you know people from multinationals, Americans coming into town and and really getting inspired uh, inspired by our, our creatives and our artists here. And, and I think that's that's the thing, you know, if you can go and you can get inspired by a snippet here or there, and you can take and you do something with it in your business, that's great. But other than that, because I, you know I saw the lineup, I, I didn't attend this year's event. I did get some feedbacks uh, from some of my friends and colleagues and, and clients, and I, I must say I. They didn't. They sounded fairly underwhelmed. Uh, you know, a lot of big names. Uh, again, great snippets. You know, the the ten minutes here, the five minutes there, the fifteen minutes there. Um, but what concrete comes out of it, really? You know, that that's what left a question mark in in some some people's heads. And I I think with any any conference, any trade show you're going to get out of it only what you put into it. So if you take the time and you go, certainly from a networking standpoint, there's a lot of people there as long as they take the time to talk to you. Uh, I think it's great. The question is, what are you bringing into it? You know, it's all garbage in, garbage out. If you go and you don't spend the time and effort and energy, then you won't really get anything out of it. And certainly from a C2 event where there's big names and big experiences you know, you you really got to delve in because uh, I don't know if you're going to get to all the big names and big big experiences if you're a little entrepreneur, uh, and if you can, great, and if you can't, at least take that snippet. But if you're not even going to take that snippet, then why waste your time? Because it's not a free event, Dan. I mean, it might be for some journalists and and some some lucky invitees. Uh, but the reality is it's three and a half, four thousand dollars to attend this event. Not cheap. It's it's a big investment, and I think it's only catered to a, a, a really narrow group of people who would be here in Montreal. So it's people, I think, who really are at the level of Frank and Oak where they can network at a multinational level. It's not a local conference for sure. Um, you know, there, I, I don't think uh, anyone is going to uh, to bring their startup from zero to 100 at C2. These are for, I think, really developed ideas, developed businesses, people that have experience and who want to take things uh, to the next level. And when, from what I was seeing there, I was seeing mostly 
people from outside Quebec, uh, a lot of Americans, a lot of Chinese uh, business people as well, uh, a lot of people from India. So in that sense, I think a lot of people who are sort of in that very corporate multinational environment don't get to get out and hand let loose a little, uh, you know, once in a while. And I think C2 for them is that that opportunity to, to let loose and be inspired by our our the, the kind of lifestyle that we take for granted here in Montreal. There's no question Montreal is a great attraction point and you know we offer a whole lot of things not just you know surrounding the C2 event but you're right if you if you're going to come from from out of town and you're going to be that player so to speak I think it could be a great event. You know from the people that I spoke with the locals here it's funny how you know they didn't get much out of it then again, they didn't pay for it either. Yeah. So I, I wonder, I wonder how much, how seriously they take it. And the flip side of that coin is, I wonder how many seats they're filling just to make sure it's a it's a big, renowned event. So somebody says, "Hey, I attended an event with thousands of people." Hey, I got a couple of accounts out of it, so I'm not going to complain. For 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 us, it was a it was a positive networking experience for sure. And uh, you know, some some you know talks are better than others. You know, I can only hear David Suzuki talk about his stuff you know a thousand times before I get kind of bored. But you know, Andy Nolman was great. He's always always great to inspire people. Uh, I was really blown away by um, uh, Michel Laprise from Cirque du Soleil actually, mm-hmm. uh, and I wrote about that in my column today in the Gazette because to me that's a, that's a great example of a Quebecer who is really creative who see, has a creative vision, very artistic creative vision, but then can also translate it into dollars. And that's that sort of was my point in the column today was, it's great to be creative, great to have all these ideas and have joie de vivre and all that, but time to make some money eventually, and, and the Cirque knows how to do that. And Dan, you went there with a purpose, and you went there and you put in your time and your effort and you made sure you, you spoke with people and you networked, so you're going to get something out of it. But that's what that's what with any trade show, with any conference, as I said earlier, if you're going to go and you're going to make the effort and you're going to put some time and energy into it and you're going to treat it like a, like a job uh, and not just a, a, a fun social point, although that's good too, uh, then then you'll get something out of it. But if you don't, then I don't know uh, how much time should be wasted. Hmm. You also wanted to mention this piece about C2, uh, why that was in uh, Les Affaires, uh, why C2 should be C3 MTL. And... I guess the question, it's it's that next generation. It's what happens next. It's the been there, done that kind of, you know, C2 has mm-hmm. been around for a little while. Is it time for for the next phase? It's kind of, you know, 3.0, not the 2.0. And really that, you know, because there was your article, you know, you had a really great experience. Uh, in Les Affaires, it was okay, but it wasn't really resounding great. Uh, and I think the... The, the the article was really about it can be a great event. It's a great city. It's a great, has such great potential, but it's a been there, done that kind of thing. What can they do to take it to the next level? And I, I think that's kind of the lesson in, in any event that, that you go on. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. It will get stale. Airbnb, um, they are, are reacting to, uh, to a Quebec law uh, that's going to re- regulate uh, home sharing, basically, which is what the Airbnb does. Well, and that's really, you know, there is a hotel tax. There's this 3.5%, uh, you know, tax. And, and they're really, if you're going to have your place rented out enough times during the year, then you're supposed to register and you're supposed to charge that tax. And I think it's, it's more... The reason I, I, you know, we kind of bring up the article is more about this sharing economy. And it's more about how, I mean, we listen to Uber and, you know, if they don't fall into line, if they don't start getting licenses, well, they'll be out. Airbnb, this article was, well, you know, you have to subscribe to the hotel industry taxes. You know, who who knows what's next, but there's certainly other aspects that this sharing community, if they don't comply with the laws that are around, 
there's going to be too many butting heads. And as we all know, the governments are broke, so they need their funds as much as anybody else. And they're going to want to enforce all these rules and these laws and these taxes that they've had set up in place for many, many years. And then, of course, is all the competition that's already paying for it anyways and feel that it's unfair. So there's, I, I feel that this sharing community... They're going to have to come up. They're going to have to start complying a little bit more with the laws that are already at hand because law, those laws are not changing so quickly. And, you know, this whole sharing economy stuff in Quebec, not really working out too well in some cases because we're, we're used to monopolies that we enjoy, I think, more than more than sharing. That, that is something we do love <laughs> in our lovely Quebec society. You also wanted to mention this uh, piece from Report on Business, how to use an influencer to boost your brand. And, and Dan, you know, I would kind of pose the question back to you. You know, the, the social media, you want you want followers. You know, sometimes companies don't have as many followers as they'd like, but if they get an influencer that has thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers, and that that influencer gets to write something about your product, your service, what have you, that can be a big boost for business. But I'm, I'm talking too much. You know more about this than I do. No, I agree. And and as, as I'm a mascot for Provocateur, I encourage my clients to be mascots for their businesses as well. Because for me, you know, it's and, and you, know, you can go out and get a spokesperson or something like that. And that's a, that's a good uh, a good way of marketing yourself. But I also try to create these influencers from scratch. So I like to take someone in the business, an owner, co-owner, manager, and uh, and try to have them become the spokesperson or the mascot for their for their brand. And no one knows the business better than uh, those who are working in it day in and day out, right? So that's part of what I do and, and what, of, what I encourage as well. Every business needs a spokesperson. So you have to develop that person, uh, probably the founder of the business or the majority owner in most cases, and, and have them go out there and, uh, and uh, evangelize for your brand. And, and that's something that could yield results. But if you find an influencer online, a social media influencer, might be a little cheaper than finding that celebrity spokesperson that you might have to pay for certain commercials. So there's also a bang for the buck out there. Mm-hmm. Coming up, we'll talk to Ethan Song of Frank and Oak. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 720 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we welcome Ethan Song of Frank and Oak into the studio. Ethan, welcome. Thank you. So, Josh, this is an interesting story because we actually profiled Frank and Oak before they were Frank and Oak. Before they were Frank and Oak. It was a few years ago when they were Moda Suite. Hmm. And so now here we go. Uh, you guys have really taken off. So, Ethan, first, uh, tell us a little bit about Frank and Oak, how you started uh, and how you sort of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, uh, took it to the next level uh, with, uh, after Moda Suite. Yeah, so we started Frank and Oak in 2012. So it's been uh, four and a half years now that that company is on the market. And the idea, well, f- there's two things that came together. The first thing is that we we saw that there was no brands out there that were created for millennial guys, guys that were more entrepreneurial, creative, wanted a good product, but also wanted a product that was accessible. And then on the other side, we realized, well, if we're dealing with men, you know, men don't like to shop as much. They they or they don't know what to buy. They often need the assistance of their girlfriend. And we said, well, can we create a brand where the product and the experience comes together and it makes you live a better life and dress better? So was it only about apparel or did you also add accessories at the same time? Well, I think the thing that's interesting about Frank and Oak is that it's really about the experience and the brand that we created. So we first started with dress shirts and accessories. And then since then, now we have a full collection of footwear. We have denim. We're really here to dress you and make your life better. 
Now, what was your background? Like, what were you doing before Frank and Oak? Yeah, it's really funny because I I can't say that, you know, my dream was to run uh, a consumer of fashion uh, brand. Uh, I actually studied in both film as well as computer and software engineering uh, while going to university in Vancouver at UBC, actually. And I was I was very creative. I was always into technology, always into cool consumer stuff and after I graduated, I really wanted to start a business, but I didn't feel like I had nor the, the dollars or the money to do so, nor the, the confidence. So I, I started an internship at Deloitte uh, in consulting, which turned into a job. And there, you know, I worked with a lot of like clients uh, at a global level, and that gave me a lot of business knowledge. So I really combined my business knowledge with my more creative and technology-oriented skills to create Frank and & Oak. And in some ways, you know, Steve Jobs, the great Steve Jobs once said that, you cannot connect dots forward because the world is moving so fast. You can only connect them backwards. So when I'm connecting the dots, I realize, well, you know what? I'm actually quite well equipped for my job today. No, and I, and I think your background history of the computer side, because you, you did start strictly online, and then you kind of went to the retail locations. And it'll be kind of interesting to hear what, you know, that, that aha moment or that, that trigger point says, you know what, we really got to go from that online to bricks and mortar. When we come back from the break, we'll explore that a little further. Ethan Song with us from Frank and Oak this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.25 on Today's Entrepreneur. We're joined by Ethan Song of Frank and Oak. And Josh, a recurring theme on this program has been uh, retail, the troubles in retail, uh, online versus brick and mortar stores. And here we have a, a brave example of a company that went from online to bricks and mortar. Now, maybe Ethan, you can take us at the very beginning. You said you started Frank and Oak 2012. You were strictly online at that mm -hmm. point, correct? How many years before you decided to get to a physical retail location? Yeah, so I mean, we uh, we started uh, testing the physical side of the business about two years ago. So I would say like three years in. Uh, is when we looked at that option. But if we go back to the the beginning, you know, our our goal was to create a brand for millennial guys and to help guys dress better, right? So I didn't talk about channels. Mm -hmm. I only talked about our, our vision as a business. But it just happened that you can do that a lot more effectively online using data, using, you know, digital channels, using content. And that's why we start online. Um, so the big question uh, that I guess you guys are asking me is, well, why... At what at what point did you say you know what enough with the online or we have you know we hit a certain I don't I won't say saturation point because it's tough to do uh, but at some point you said well we're building this brand how can we enhance it further is there something beyond the online marketplace that we've created yeah so I I mean like my, my position on that is that you know we've we've grown tremendously you know on the e-commerce space like we were in the Deloitte Fast Fifty number one last year as the fastest growing technology company in Canada. Uh, and online is still growing very fast, both in the U.S. and Canada. We just opened to 40 countries globally. Um, so it's not one or the other. That's the thing, right? It's more being able to effectively, you know, basically create an experience that's engaging for customers. And we just found that, you know, as an example, a big portion of our sales comes from mobile, that physical spaces are actually really powerful in terms of creating deep relationship with customers. And as a brand and retailer, relationships are extremely valuable. 
we you know we we've often spoken uh, on the program with past retailers and and talking about the why the you know the the consumer and why they really need to go into the store it's not just about the product it is about the experience so when you're taking your your online experience that you created for these millennial guys and you're turning it into a physical location what is the thought process how what was that first design concept of a store so that you can I don't want to say recreate but have that have that concept flow really well into the community of Frank and Oak. I mean, I think the first thing, you know, uh, talking about the entire industry, I, I do think that it's, it's sometimes a lot of people find that you know it's e-commerce that's disrupting you know traditional retail. I actually think that it's technology that's disrupting everything, right? Including physical stores. Mm-hmm. Physical spaces are places where people interact. A store doesn't have to be always the same, and I think technology is also changing that, and it's also changing people's expectation of the kind of experiences you want to have in a space. So when it comes to online, my, my philosophy is always like you want to make it simple, you want to make it efficient, whereas like when it comes to retail, create a rich experience, engage with your customer, add a human touch, and that's what makes it special. So is that where your store might stand out differently? It's like How do, how do you feel your store, Frank & Oak, uniquely stands out compared to some of your competition? Oh, I mean, I, I think our store stands out in many different ways, but in ways that align with our core vision. One, we use our sp- stores as media, right? So we have a lot of in-store events. We present the product there. We actually lend our spaces to other communities to hold their events there. So it's almost a physical space where a lot of community can, can come together. But the other component is that we have a strong focus on personal service. You can take appointments via your mobile phone, we will actually service you and we have like trained specialists that are there to help you. And in some ways I always say, you know what, like it's 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 a little bit like the Apple store where like the service component is almost more important and we're really there to help you. And and I think, you know, we've we've been talking about this for quite a quite a while, Dan, about the why going into a store and, and how do you draw people in because it's not just about foot traffic. It's there there needs to be that reason to go in. There needs to be that that comfort level, that that security, that that service level that that certainly Frank and Oak is bringing to the table. And when we come back, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about more about further marketing and branding as they expanded their their line greatly from just the the shirts to now a whole bunch of other products. More with Ethan Sung of Frank and Oak on the way, plus Ernie Furt from Fuller Landau joins us to talk about online sales and taxes. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.36 on Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller on our season finale, Josh, uh, back in the fall in September. And uh, this evening, we're chatting with Ethan Song of Frank and Oak. Coming up, we'll talk to Ernie Furt from F.L. about uh, online sales and taxes. Of course, Frank and Oak is an online retailer who recently opened up a brick-and-mortar location here in Montreal. Uh, Ethan, you were, you were saying uh, earlier how you were named by Deloitte as one of the uh, fastest, as the fastest growing tech company um, in 2015. Tell us about the tech behind Frank and Oak, because on the surface, I mean, you're selling clothes, but there must be some really complicated technology that goes into your website, and obviously you can't reveal too much, but what can you tell us about the, the tech behind uh, Frank and Oak? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing, you know, about Frank and Oak, it's really around the integration of the omni-channel experience, right? So if we go back to what I was talking about earlier on, which is what we want to provide advice, we want to help you shop. There's a huge part of our business. It's all about recommendation. It's all about data. And it's about helping you find the products that are right for you. 
Um, so part of that service automated, part of that service is human driven, but you need that platform in order to do that. And now we've brought it across both online mobile and store so that there's an infrastructure that's there to support that as well. So the concept of the internet of things, big data capturing trends of, of, of your buyers, that, that's something that's also these algorithms that are, that are built in as well. You use these for, to assist your, your members to, to, for the next purchase. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that there's a big part of the data you know that that you get or the surveying that we do because sometimes it's not just data right we actually ask our customer like what what are your tastes what are the brands you're buying from that that constant uh optimization of your business should also help the customer experience you know as i said before ultimately it's all about making better recommendations in the case of shopping if you think about it you have access to millions of products online but what are the right ones for you that matters a lot to our customers. So you must know pretty quickly if you have a hit or or even a flop based on the number of clicks, for example. You mean in terms of products? Yeah. Well, I, I think that, like, I'll give you guys an example of uh, a hit that was kind of almost like, we, we didn't know that was going to be a hit. Well, we do extremely well with tall size products. And that's something that I don't think we could have been able to discover uh, in the stores. But online, we just realized that looking at both what the customer is buying, what they're asking for, that there was a huge market, especially in the U.S., for tall size shirts, as an example, and that actually there were also skinny tall guys that were an underserved market. So based on the data, based on the product machine, we're able to get that out really quickly and optimize that business. I think that in the traditional way, it would have taken two or three years just even to know. It's just my demographic, Dan, tall and skinny. <laughs> what, what, what about flops? I mean, do, do you get you know instant feedback that way if you're putting something out? Uh, maybe you can kind of explain. Yeah, that. absolutely. You know, I, I think that when it comes to consumer product, especially when you want to create a product that's exciting, a product that will you know uh, get people going about what they're passionate about, you have to take certain calculated risks. You know, you can't just do what everyone else is doing; otherwise, you're not leading in the market. So, not every product works. And, but I think what's interesting is that, you know, Frank and Oak does 12 collections a year. There's one new collection every single month. It, it allows us to basically, well, if it doesn't work, well, we can even it out. We can, you know, remove that product, have new products replacing it. So you're always learning, always optimizing in, in the way that, like, you know, flops just become part of the business. They become part of the calculated risk you have mm -hmm. to take. Now, you, you, you keep mentioning you're going back to, you know, giving great service, all about the customer service experience. This requires a good team around you. A uh, good team around you today. How many employees are you today about? So in terms of like full-time employees, we're probably around like 115. And four years ago, you were one, two, three, four, not too many. Yeah, we were like five. <laughs> so you grew pretty quickly going from zero to 100 employees in a little over four years. How did you manage that growth? Well, I, I would say that it's a really good point. I think that, you know, a lot of times we like to talk about the product, but really the team and the culture is what makes the product. And I always tell people, like, you can have good marketing today and good product today, but if you're not on the right team, you're going to be like, you're not going to be performing next year. So I, I think that a big part is hiring. Like, I think you need to define what you stand for and like what your company culture is and make sure that you hire not just for skills, but also for culture. So when you're doing your hiring process, you're looking at character, you're looking at attitude, uh, you're looking at the, the fit for the team. Yeah, and you know, in most cases, a lot of the things that we're doing are new to us, and they're probably new to the market as well. So it's very hard to find someone that has done it before. But you find someone that comes with the right set of skills, 
but it also has that drive. And I think that's almost the most important thing of Frank and Oak is that like, you don't just want to come and like cruise along. You actually want to make an impact both in our company and our industry. I think those are the types of people that we like to work with. So have you gone, there had to be a stage where you were going from really dealing with working with your team on an informal basis to yeah. kind of creating little formal rules and policies now that you've, you've grown to such a number. Was that a difficult transition? Yeah, I, I think it's something that needs to be managed for sure because when you're a small company, uh, everyone is kind of like family, you know, like the relationships are, are, are loose. There's no hierarchy at all, you know, and everyone kind of does it together. But over time, you know, just like in a sports team, it's not efficient, actually. You, need, you do need structure. You do need people to have specific roles to play. Uh, I would say, once again, I think you do it gradually. You know, I think that you need to remind yourself what you stand for and you don't want structure to get in the way. Uh, but ultimately, just like culture, you do have to document it. So at some point, you do have to put it on paper and you have to like message that clearly. And I would say that most employees actually appreciate that because I think it, it comes to a point people want to know the rules of the game. They want to know like where they stand and, and how things work and then perform within that context. Certainly. And, you know, you know, we've a lot of entrepreneurs talk about, you know, onboarding, you know, when, when, you know, when their your team is, is first starting off and, and getting them on the, the right foot. So I don't know if you have a particular onboarding program that you've created or developed or, um, or it's, it's really, it's, it's that culture that just permeates. No, I, I think onboarding is extremely important. And we actually do quite a bit of onboarding just for culture. I think a lot of people, you know, do onboarding for skills or for like, you know, specific like HR, let's say uh, tasks. We, we get our people to spend a lot of time together early on so that they get an understanding of the, the different people and, and the roles that they play. But I would say that the, almost the most important thing other than hiring in a fast growth company is the development of your employees because 99% of the chances are that the roles and responsibilities of the employee will be different in a year from they are today. And you want to scale your people, you want to keep your people, you want your people to learn. So you want to make sure that you actually train them and invest in them from day one. Ethan, I know it's radio and, and you're, nobody can really see, but you're a young guy, just like they can see that I'm tall and skinny, uh, fits <laughs> perfectly in your clothing. As you were, you know, even, whether it was before Frank and Oak or during, how about mentors or advisors? Or, have they been important to you? Have you you've been, you know, lucky enough to surround yourself with the right people? Yeah, I would say that, you know, Frank and Oak is uh, a result of the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Montreal. So, you know, we couldn't have done this just on our own. There's a lot of people that believed in us and supported us. A lot of people that we also had to convince <laughs> to believe in us. So it's, it was never that simple. But de but definitely, like, from very early on, you know, whether it's, you know, someone like Martin Luc Archambault, who, like, always quotes us because he's on the Dragon's Den now, uh, or, like, the guys from, like, Real Ventures that supported us from the beginning – I do think that there's an ecosystem that was created in Montreal with both entrepreneurial mentors as well as communities that can support, so other founders that can support you. And I would say that now that we've, you know, we've been doing this for a few years, like I, I myself and and my co-founder Sham, we actually spend the time to also mentor uh, younger startups than us because we understand that it's all part of supporting one another. It's part of that fact that like, you don't want to be successful and have everyone else not successful. We can all be successful as a community, as a society. And community give back is huge. Listen, if you're if you're part of a community and everybody's putting in and, and following your lead, giving back to that community is also huge. I mean, we talk about corporate social responsibility all the time. So it's great to hear that 
that you're part of that as well. Uh, what, what a great story. I wish we can continue further. Uh, but uh, we're coming up to our, our next break and uh, Ernie Ferd afterwards. Ernie's going to talk about online sales and taxes. Uh, he's, of course, tax partner at FL. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you for the season finale of Today's Entrepreneur. And we're joined by Ethan Song of Frank & Oak. He's coming up with his one piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur in a few minutes. But first, Ernie Furt uh, is here, tax partner at FL, to talk about online sales and taxes. And uh, no, just because you sell online does not mean that you don't have to pay taxes. Well, the reality is, if you're selling online, people are buying from all over the world. The question is, even if you're, even if you're located in Montreal... Are you still responsible for any taxes that are around the world? And so we'll turn to Ernie. And, and certainly it's the, the U.S. is uh, that's our closest trading partner and our, our probably biggest clientele. And uh, lots of fun because of all the states that are out there. Um, what are your first thoughts that come to mind when we're talking about online sales? Well, if you're selling online to the United States, it's really, it's really not a big deal if you sell into five states. If you sell into Alaska, Delaware, New Hampshire, uh, Montana or Oregon, there's no sales tax, so it's not an issue. Okay, so but you there's really, a, you really got to be targeted to those. You areas. really have to be targeted. Now, if you take all those states and you add the population together, they're not going to make New York or California. Okay, in terms of size. Now, there's other states that are a little bit more difficult to do business in, and they want their pound of flesh with respect to sales tax. And it's kind of a quagmire out there because there's different rules for different states. And each state has their nexus rules, which is a connection with the state. And there's certain states to watch out for. Uh, namely, you know, uh, California, Texas, New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. You know, certain people in uh, New Jersey, you can walk through New Jersey, take your own truck through New Jersey, and boom, you have sales tax nexus. But that means people have to track where they're actually making their sales. Well, people track where they're making their sales. You take your, you take your product, you, you sell it, it has to be delivered somehow. So if it's going to be delivered somehow, people know that it's getting there. So people get Nexus questionnaires out of the state of Pennsylvania, for example, when they ship stuff uh, via common carrier to Pennsylvania. They had they know what's coming in, and they'll send you a questionnaire, and you have to be very careful how you fill out those questionnaires. Canada's a little bit easier because we have this GST and HST across the country. And you know, if you don't want to deal with provincial sales tax, you, for most part, you don't have to, except, you know, if you, you can sell to Alberta, there is no provincial sales tax. You may have issues with respect to provincial sales tax in Saskatchewan, in Manitoba, and in British Columbia. But aside so, from that, there's no issue. So what about, like, you, don't, you only have a phys physical establishment here in Montreal. You don't have a physical establishment anywhere else, or what some people will term a permanent establishment. How does that come into play? Does it not matter at all anymore? In terms of permanent establishment, permanent establishment works for taxation, for income taxation, not for sales tax. Sales tax, it's it's based on point of delivery for goods. So I'm selling something. I'm selling something to Ontario. I deliver it to Ontario. Regardless of who I bill for it, I have to charge HST on Ontario. So that, that that's the, the, the issue. And, they're, and they're, they did, uh, a few years back, they, when the HST came in big time in Ontario, they revamped all of the place of supply rules in Canada so it's consistent. And, and the beauty about the Canadian system is it is consistent rules all the way through. 
So now when you're when you're talking about uh, the sales taxes, it here in Canada, I mean, we self-report. You know, it's it's uh, you, you have your GST, QST, HST, and you're sending into the government. In the U.S., is it is there a question of registering also? Is it self-reporting? Well, there's re- there's registration. Yes, if you if you have the nexus and you're required to register, there's registration. But in addition, there is a, a mechanism for self-reporting, because on each state sales uh, state income tax return, there's a place called uh, for use tax. So if you buy stuff from out of state and you don't pay your local sales tax on that, you can actually self-assess and indicate that amount on your state tax return and pay that. And a lot of people who are in government, public office, things like that, will fill in that line. Some people who are in public accounting firms uh, that I've spoken to in the U.S. also fill in that line because they have that duty to do so. Now, we, we've been talking about products, and it's easy to figure out where a product gets delivered to because there's a physical location. What if you're selling a, a service or a membership like Frank and Oak, uh, you know, in certain areas? Is th- that membership is pretty intangible. It's in the air. And if somebody in the States is, is subscribing to that membership, is there also a sales tax implication? In terms of the U.S., it, they basically deal with a goods tax. And, and certain states have carved out the service portion and are trying to tax the service portion. But this kind of stuff with respect to memberships, they really haven't done much on in, in the in the U.S. But little by little, as the states need more money, they look to, to add in items into the sales tax base. And that that's what they're doing. And certainly, listen, here in Quebec, I mean, they're, they look, of course, to tax everything the government's broke. So when you're selling those those services, those memberships, it's they want the geolocation software. They want to know where you're selling to because otherwise they'll think, hey, everybody's, everything's sold here in Quebec. You better have charged and collected your, your GST and your QST because we don't believe that it was bought south of the border. So I, I wonder how much that's going to play out not only not only the rest of Canada and the U.S., but throughout the world. Well, eventually, we're going to move towards a global system. Um, the U.S. has to come on board first because they have a project in the States that's been around for forever, and I think the last update was basically in 2012 called the Streamline Sales Tax Project, where what they want to do is try to streamline the sales tax rules in between the states. So the rules are exactly the same. If I sell you uh, if I sell you a piece of merchandise and you, you deliver it in, in a spot, that's the rule. You know, if, if I sell you a service, we have special rules for services. So, but each state looks at it and says, okay, well, these are the carve-outs that I want. And I, I, I we don't want to tax children's clothing. We don't want to tax shoes. We don't want to tax uh, feminine hygiene products, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of carve-outs and people don't agree on the carve-outs. So what would you have anarchy again? Ethan Song from Frank and Oak gives his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur to wrap up the season. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. And coming to the end of the show and the end of the season on today's Entrepreneur. So let's thank Ernie Furt, tax partner at FL, for his insights on uh, all things taxes and online. Uh, thanks, Ernie, and uh, have a great summer. Thank you. You too. And Ethan Song from Frank and Oak. We've been talking to, about you guys and about your growth a lot over the past couple of seasons. So, Ethan, your one piece of advice? So, Ethan, your what would be your one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur? Yeah, so my, my piece of advice is pretty simple, it, and it's one word, launch. 
just whatever idea, whatever dream, whatever business you have, just launch it and then you'll learn a tons and you'll make it better. I hear tons of entrepreneurs that talk to me about ideas and how they're working on this extensive business plan. Mark Zuckerberg, when he launched Facebook, he didn't work on a business plan and look at where he is at today. So whatever you have, just put it out there and you'll be on your way. And Dan, you know, the takeaway from this show, even before we get to the whole end of the season wrap-up is there's a vision. Entrepreneurs have a vision. You can hear that Ethan at one point and his partner had a vision and they executed and they took it out. But it was that vision and kept them on track to do that. Ethan Song of Frank and Oak, thanks so much for stopping by. And it's uh, it's great to see some local talent uh, getting so far internationally. So best of luck to you guys. Thank you, guys. And Josh, that's it for the season. We're back uh, probably uh, around Labor Day, after Labor Day on today's Entrepreneur. After Labor Day, we're going to uh, have a whole new lineup of entrepreneurs. Uh, lots of great stories, lots of great one pieces of advice for today's entrepreneur. Have a great summer, Josh. Thanks for joining us here on CJAD. The Exchange with Sophie Zahoshe and Lise Ravery coming up next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.